Um, when I tried to overdose back here in April, they called 911 for me. I didn't want to go to the hospital. I thought I just if I just went somewhere and just slept for the rest of my life, I'd be okay. But that wasn't that wasn't the case. I needed um, a psychiatric, a medical intervention, you would say. I needed a medical intervention for somebody to come in and help me and get me to a better place. You are now tuned in to a Power Podcast Network production. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon, and welcome to The Elephant in the Room, a love letter to mental health. I am your host. I'm Adrian Freeman. I'm back. I'm in the studio, as you can see around me. I'm in the phonic den. Um, been gone for a while. Um, I've been really sick, but I'm back now to give you all this about mental health. And September is a very special month um, for some of us because we are going to talk about suicide prevention, suicide awareness month. And I'm going to go and talk about some statistics and give you some warning signs. And then I'm going to tell you where to go, who to contact, you know, when do you contact, you know, those types of things. But first off, I just want to give a shout out to the late notorious RBG. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she passed away here on Friday. She was 87 years old. She was a Supreme Court justice. She was nominated by um, William Clinton, Bill Clinton. Sat on the court since the the mid-90s up through now. Her dying wish was to live to see the election go through. She didn't, but that still doesn't take away the fact that we need to vote, that we need to be out here, we need to be diligent. But there are four things that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did for women that are important to know. They're just little haps of little little nuggets of, of, of information. She made it to where a woman didn't have to have a cosigner to acquire a bank account, a male cosigner to acquire a bank account that a woman could apply for a mortgage by herself. She didn't have to have a man to apply for a mortgage with her. She also made it to where it wasn't, you weren't discriminated against in employment based on your gender. And the last and most important, she also created the work-life balance for you to be pregnant and work and be a mother and return back to work. I think some of those four things that I touched on were pretty important. Being able to acquire a mortgage without a man's signature, opening up a bank account without a man co-signing, gender discrimination in the workplace, and being able to go back to work and be pregnant and still work and not be in fear of your job. Those are some of the things that RBG left with us that we need to carry into this election and we need to carry into 2021. Because to be honest with you guys, 2020 has been really lousy. It has sucked. It's been horrible. Can't even understand some of the things that's happened this this year, these quick nine months. That's why it's going so fast because it's been so bloody horrible. But right now, what I want to do is I want to get into some of the suicide statistics with you guys and just give you a kind of brief, small overview of some of the statistics with suicide and give you some of the things going on with North Carolina as far as our suicide rates go and the monies that are going towards that and why healthcare 
needs to really be on board with mental health 100%. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for teens from all demographics. So just think about that, the second leading cause of death for teens in all demographics. Only accidents kill more young children than suicide. In 2017, 2,200 teenagers between the ages of 15 and 19 died by the hand of suicide. That's these numbers, 2,200 children. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. In 2018, 48,344 48, people died by suicide. In the same year, 2018, 1.4 million had attempted suicide. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And that's why we need to get the word out. We need to get the word out and, and make it known for people to know that it's okay not to be okay. That's the most important thing that I think that's, that is a gift. It is okay not to be okay, and it is okay to talk about your mental illness. It's not attention-seeking. It's a brave and it's an important thing to do. On average, there are 132 suicides per day. Middle-aged white men are the highest demographic to commit suicide, and it's usually by firearm. One person dies every six hours in the state of North Carolina by suicide. Now, we're going to talk about North Carolina right now. It's funny I brought that up. It's the 11th leading cause of death here in North Carolina is suicide. That's, that's crazy, too. It's the fourth leading cause of death for the ages between 35 and 54. Second leading cause of death for ages 10 through 34. Those are a lot of, um, a lot of daunting numbers. Fourth leading cause. Now let's get down to the, the cost and let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about healthcare because I'm not that savvy on healthcare, but I do want to talk a little bit about healthcare and the suicide, um, suicide issue. We have spent over $1.3 billion in combined lifetime medical and work loss in 2010. Let me talk about suicide in North Carolina. That, that's a lot of money, and it's just only been 10 years ago, $1.3 billion in combined lifetime medical and work loss, the suicide cost here in North Carolina. Now, what I want to do quickly now is I want to tap on and get into warning signs because that will take up a little bit more of my time than just the statistics of, you know, nationwide and then giving you statewide statistics. There's a little bit of warning signs. Increased alcohol or drug use, aggressive behaviors, withdrawing from family, friends, activities, your community. Dramatic mood swings, impulsive or reckless behavior. Um, those are some of the warning signs. Um, and those are just five of them. It's very interesting the, the, drug, the alcohol and drug use being increased. And again, aggressive behaviors, 
the withdrawal from family, friends, and community, that's a sign of depression, but it's also, if you're a person who was jovial and vibrant before, and then you again, you start withdrawing from everybody and everything, and then you don't enjoy the things or things that you used to do don't bring you any more pleasure, that's a warning sign on them itself as well. Um, dramatic mood swings, where one minute, you know, you're happy as a clam, there's nothing bothering you, and then the next second, you're just aggressive fighting on edge. That's another, that's a, that's a big mood swing, a big red flag for someone who is suicidal or who has suicidal ideologies. Impulsive or reckless behavior could be just shopping at a feverish pitch, taking all your money and just buying and shopping and hoarding things or reckless behavior it could be, you know, the increased alcohol or drug use. It could be, you know, engaging in promiscuous sexual behaviors, things of that nature. And then um, here's another piece that I found out for you guys I want to read to you. Suicidal behaviors are a psychiatric emergency. And they are. They are an emergency. I take the word psychiatric out of it because, you know, that, that makes it sound like, ooh, you know, something really weird and creepy. Anytime anybody makes the threat, says anything that's in, in reference to suicide, it is an emergency. It is a large, it is a daunting emergency. Do not take it lightly. You know, um, Um, and here are some other warning signs um, that may that go back to what I just told you, but they're just um, just as important. A person who collects or starts saving pills, or someone who inquire who acquires a weapon who never had a weapon before, that's a big red flag. Giving away all your possessions. If you have beanie babies, or you have baskets, or you have a t-shirt collection, or a shoe collection or you have a paper ashtray or something like that, and you start giving away your possessions, that in itself should be a red flag to people knowing, hey, they never give their stuff away. What's going on? That should be another red flag. Tying up your loose ends, personal, you know, getting your papers in order, paying off debts, you know, talking to your life insurance company, um, paying off all your debts, 
clearing up any old, tying up old loose ends. Those are other big trigger warning signs. And again, I should have said before the podcast started, I should have said this is a trigger warning episode. I don't want anyone to watch this and feel triggered or be emotional or be upset. So that's why I talked about RBG before we got started. And I just want to go back and reiterate, this is a trigger warning. I do not want anybody to try this at home. I don't want anybody to go out and and, and do any of these things. These are for loved ones, you know, healthcare providers, people like that to do and to know and to see. So I just wanted to go ahead and say that as a trigger warning because I don't want people to be like, uh, this is weird and creepy. But let me get back to more warning signs. Here's a big one that um, I had did, and that's how I partly ended up in the hospital, saying goodbye to friends and family. I had gone on the phone with two people and told them goodbye, and, and they didn't understand. And, you know, and people you know, don't, when you talk about wanting to take your life, people really don't understand what that sounds like or what that looks like. You know, people just usually just do it. They don't ever go. And when they do have those warning signs or do those things, those are cries for help. They want someone to help them. Not someone as much as to coddle them, you know, or to, or baby them but they want somebody to acknowledge their feelings and validate their feelings and kind of just help them get over a hump, I guess you would say. But saying goodbye to friends and family, that's a big red flag, it's a big warning sign. It's bigger than the drug use, it's bigger than the weapon, it's, it's bigger than giving away your possessions. When you go back and you start telling people goodbye and you start giving your things away, anybody at that point should call a healthcare provider or call 911 and this will take us into our next piece. The support in the crisis. I took a class back here in the summer called QPR, Question, Persuade, and Refer. It's taught by Fonda Bryant, heavy mental health influencer, mental health advocate. You can find her on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Her name is Fonda Bryant. She is the instructor of this class. It's 90 minutes. She has it every Saturday from 1.30 till 3.30. It's from 1 to 3 every Saturday, excuse me. In every Saturday in September, excuse me, from 1 to 3. Um, the number is 1-8. 1-8. Three two one two. The access code to get into it is five four nine dash zero one eight dash nine seven three, and that number never changes. He does it as a Zoom. It's a Zoom video. It is a great class. Question the person if they're talking about suicide. Question them. Ask them certain just pointed questions. Persuade them to want to get help, ask them, can I call somebody? And then refer them to a mental health professional or mobile crisis or 911. I just wanted to give it as a sideline. Again, it was Fonda Bryant. Find her on Facebook. You can sign up for her class. I took it back here in the spring. 
It's, it's phenomenal. It's the best 90 minutes that a person can take, and it'll, and it'll help you. You'll, you'll learn a lot about yourself and a lot about suicide and people that have suicidal ideologies. You know, not, not boy that cried wolf or anything of that nature, but suicidal ideologies. But I want to go back into risk factors. I just wanted to give that side note. I want to go back into risk factors of suicide, and here are a couple of them. 46% of people who die of suicide have already had a known mental health condition. They have a family history of suicide, substance abuse. Um, most of the people that do commit suicide, one in three of them are already under the influence of alcohol at the time of death. Um, risk factor number, access to firearms. Women are more likely to attempt suicide. Men are more likely to commit. Men, usually when they do commit suicide, they go through it, they go through with it. You know, women such as myself, and I'll speak for me and my experience, um, I was always, like I said, a boy that cried wolf. I always, you know, cried out and, and, and wanted help, but never took the help when it was given to me. So, um, Women will just say it or, or have a half-hearted attempt, taking pills or slitting their wrist. Um, men, usually middle-aged white men, as the statistics I read to you, always say it's by firearm. Or we have a serious or a chronic medical illness. You know, a lot of cancer patients that are terminal you know, and that's where Dr. Kevorkian came into with assisted medical suicide. And we all know if you were born in the 90s, late 90s, you knew about Dr. Kevorkian and you knew that he um, had helped assisted suicide and helping people that were chronically ill um, in their lives. And there's been a lot of debate on assisted suicide. Um, I haven't read up anything here recently, but I do remember his name was Dr. Jack Kevorkian, and he did, you know, lead the passage of, you know, assisted suicide. And there are some states that that is legal, but it's just, it's like murder to me. But, you know, you don't know what a person's going through until you've walked in their shoes, and if someone has a chronic medical illness, and they're asking you to take their life again, call a mental health professional. Call 911. Don't ever, unless you're comfortable enough, don't ever, you know, sit down and try to, um, you know, talk them out of it. You know, just, just ask them gently and in a soft way, can I refer you to somebody? Can I, can I call somebody for you? And then you can, then you can call and then you can, like I said, it's QPR, question, persuade, and refer. And that leads us into another segment that I want to talk about, and that's me. Um, I have had on the fifth, the 25th, excuse me, of this month, I will have had um, five months of mental health sobriety. Um, the 25th is always a very important day for me because that was the day I was released from the hospital. The 11th was the day I was admitted. I always look to the 25th of any month as a new beginning. 
I know this is the 20th and tomorrow's the 21st, but I just want to celebrate it in advance because I'm grateful to have had the chance to go to the hospital and to um, get the help that I needed and finally take it serious enough. You know, you'll get tired of being tired and you'll want to finally get the help that you need or that you deserve, that you believe that you, you need. Because for me, for so long, I would take the medicine and I'd be like, okay, nothing's happening and I'd quit taking it. And the problems would be gone. I'd take the medicine, I'd quit taking the medicine and then all the problems would start to just rear their head or I never dealt with the issues that I had at hand. But here in the past five months, I've been able to handle and deal with the issues that come about and handle them in such a way that I don't blurt out, I want to hurt myself. I don't blurt out that I'm, you know, going to hurt myself or manipulate somebody into feeling sorry for me or trying to gather someone's attention. You know, again, it's not okay. It's okay to not be okay. But then don't, don't be like me. Don't be the boy that cried wolf. And every time you turn around, every time you get into a situation, you say, oh, if I wasn't around, maybe things would just be better. And then you call, and then you get people really upset. And then when you don't follow through with your treatment plan, then people get leery and don't want to be around you. And that's not, and that's not cute at any point. You know, and, and again, like I've said before, you know, you alienate a lot of people, you lose lots of friends, your family's not sure if they want to interact with you or not, because that's, that's a serious issue. You can't blurt out every time something doesn't go right in your life. You can't blurt out, if I just wasn't around, it'll be okay. If I weren't around anymore, you wouldn't have to worry about me. No. No, don't, don't do that. If you have a problem, talk to somebody. Call somebody. Just, you know, tell them, hey, look, I'm going through something. I was wondering if I could talk to you for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe you could help me. Maybe you could help me figure out what it is that I got going on. That's why during this COVID-19 crisis, it is important to check on your loved ones. It is important to get outside, some fresh air, walk around your neighborhood, walk your parking lot, you know, talk to people, um, read a book, go pet an animal, eat some ice cream. That's why next week we're going to talk about coping skills. We're going to talk about different things you can do during this COVID-19 crisis that can get us through. Because I cannot imagine when the data comes out next year or later this year, what the statistics are going to look like for people who have tried to harm themselves or who have who or who have taken their lives behind this COVID-19. Um, this is just so important because, you know, being isolated for two or three months at a time, not having physical contact with people, being able to go outside, go to the park, go to the movies, go bowling, things like that can take a toll on a person. You really didn't, we really didn't think about anything like there's a pandemic coming our way in our lifetime. 
we've had the H1N1 and SARS and, you know, the swine flu and, and things of that nature, but you never had anything happen like this where you were sequestered in your house for, for 60 days, 90 days, things of that nature. You, you, you hadn't had it. You hadn't had it. You hadn't had, you know, the cutting off from people and how important it is to have human interaction. It's so important to have human interaction that I can't stress it enough. And that's why September is always the, the month that I enjoy the most, that I get the most out of the suicide prevention information that I see and read and I get to share with you all because, um, you know, when you talk about mental health, it's not attention-seeking. It's brave and it's important. Just talking about having a mental illness, talking about taking your medications, going to therapy, you know, seeing, seeing somebody that helps you understand your problems, the things that are going on in your mind, it's brave. I don't want anyone's attention. Nobody wants anybody's attention. We just want you to know that this is a part of who we are, and this is just a, a very small piece of what we have or what we're going through. You know, like I said, I take seven medications, and I take them. It's just a part of who I am now. I can't not, not take them anymore. I have to take them every morning, in the afternoon, and at night. I have to stay on the phone and call my prescriptions in, take the medicine, you know, go to the doctor's appointments, tell them how I'm feeling, how I'm not feeling, you know, things of that nature. And it's important for us in the African-American community to do that. We carry so much in ourselves and we never feel, especially black women, that we feel like that once we start to express ourselves, we get deemed angry and bitter, and, and it's not. We're just very strong, determined women. But don't let all this that you carry, the weight that you carry on your shoulders like a big albatross wear you down. Don't ever, don't ever do that. That's, that's not something that you should do. You should always... You should always be advocating for yourself, if not for anybody else, yourself. Again, especially black women. I, I, every day we have to keep ourselves together, check on each other, keep each other lifted up, because it's hard out here. You know, we are the most educated group on the planet right now in this time and day and age, but we are, I guess, the most misunderstood. Because once we start speaking up for ourselves and sitting upright and start demanding that we get treated like human beings, then we get labeled as angry. That's not angry. Well, we're angry. We're angry that we've had to put up with this foolishness as long as we've had to. And don't have anybody out there really advocating, pushing heavy for us. Breonna Taylor, they had that $12 million lawsuit. They settled that or what have you. But... You have not arrested the people that killed her. There was a picture of him on a beach somewhere. You know, you wanted her boyfriend to admit she was some, some kind of cartel member or admit 
she was in some kind of conglomerate. No, she wasn't. She was in her best sleep. And they came in there and shot her to death. She worked for the city. You know, she was a she was an essential worker, public servant herself. And and, and her wife is her life is only worth twelve million dollars. And I guess some people are like, well, they they lucky that they got that amount of money. It is not about money now. It's about justice. And you know how they say justice is just for us. It's not cute. It's not cute at all. $12 million for a life. You cannot put a dollar sign on somebody's life. That's not what you do. And again, you know, um, if it had been a white woman, I wonder what they would have done. I wonder what, what, what would have been done. Would someone been arrested? Would someone been brought to a grand jury? Would they been indicted? Would they have to stand trial? A young man was killed in his own apartment. And the woman thought it was her apartment, and she shot him. And she's a law enforcement officer. And you wonder why we don't trust the police. And you wonder why they're running around talking about defund the police. And when they say defund the police, we're not saying take away their funding. What we're saying is, what I think they're saying is, let me put it in that fashion. What I think they're saying is, put money towards training, money towards having mental health trainers on the police department. So when you do go to a mental health call, you're not pulling out your gun, shooting them. That you're able to do, you know, QPR. That you're able to, you know, de-escalate that person. You're able to talk to them and get them to a safe space. That you're able to get them in the treatment or get them in front of what the real problem is. They always come back and always want to say, well, they had a mental health issue and they were dangerous. They may have been out of medicine. They may believe they don't have to take medicine. They may just believe whatever. They don't think that they have a problem. That's why so many innocent people, you know, when they have these calls, someone out of control, someone acting erratic, that's why they end up shooting them, because they don't know. And that's why they need, you know, mental health trained officers on the forces. And I think when they defund the police, you need to fund them. You need to give them training. You know, everything isn't always about brandishing a weapon. It isn't always about putting down the ground, putting your foot in the side of their neck. It isn't about shooting them in their back seven times in front of their children. It isn't about going in their houses and shooting them while their nephews are playing on the PlayStation. It isn't about... The police need so much more training. And I, you know, am a criminal justice law student, so I, I, I know. So when I think of defund the police, I don't, they're not talking about taking their monies away from them and running around here like the purge. That's not what we're talking about. That is not what we're talking about. We are talking about defunding them in such a way that you're always buying weapons, you're always buying flak jackets, but you're never doing training on the other end, mental health training. I think that if they were to defund the police and take that money and put it into another form or fashion, you wouldn't have all these officer-related shootings that you're having. 
you wouldn't have people going in here without warrants or, or baseless warrants going in here shooting up people's houses and killing people and thinking you throw some money at it that it's going to make it all better. That's, that's not, that is not the case. That is not the case. You know, I am a suicide survivor, and I just, and I take it very personally when, you know, somebody has a mental health issue and the police shoot them. I'm always like, why? Why, why would you shoot them? What, what was, what, what were you getting out of that? That wasn't anything worth shooting them about. If they don't comply, you can't tase them. Can't take a taser and just tase them and shoot them. You don't have to kill them. That's just that's just my personal opinion. I I, I mean anybody that's out there want to chime in, want to speak on it, anything they want to say about it, you know. But to be honest, that's just kind of where I'm at. Like I said, I am a suicide survivor. Um, I like to think of myself sometimes as a boy that cried wolf because I tried it so many times. I never took it seriously until this last time. I'm ashamed to say I was 50 years old in attempting suicide. And in this time, I really got the help that I needed that I should have gotten, you know, 25 years ago. Didn't take it seriously at all, guys. Just played around with it. But don't do that. That's not worth it's not worth losing your friends, your family, the interest and in things that you used to like to do that you don't do anymore because you're ashamed. I feel like if anybody has an issue, I feel like you need to go talk to your family, friends, clergy, you know, somebody. You know, again, I used to always say that if I wasn't around, it'd be better. You really don't care. You know, again, manipulating the situation, trying to twist the situation to where I can make it work for me and not ever getting that to the core essence of what was really wrong it was just me. I didn't take the medicine, didn't do the things I was supposed to do, did not think that anything was wrong with me, thinking that if I'm super nice and super kind to everybody, that it'll, it'll be okay. No. No. And I don't, you know, like to always talk about me in those instances and make it always about me. But we all have friends and family that have those kinds of issues and, and you need to address them, you need to get them help. You don't need to talk about them when they're behind their backs. You don't need to, to alienate or ostracize and make them feel like they're all alone. Because that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, trying to get my life together. I don't do comedy anymore. You know, because I kind of burned that bridge. But who knows? In another year's time, two years, I might go back and revisit that and build that bridge back. You know, you you can't treat people any kind of way and thinking that you're going to have luck and success. That's all I just want to say. But again, too, you cannot use suicide as a manipulation tool like I have. I have attempted suicide five separate times. There is nothing cute about that. There is nothing cute. There is nothing, 
There's nothing romanticized about it. This is not a Romeo and Juliet issue. There was nothing romanticized about that. It was just being a little shitty manipulator, trying to get people to like me more because there was something wrong with me. That's why now I can talk about it more freely, more openly, and just share with you. I don't cry wolf anymore. I take the medicine. You know, I go to the doctor's appointments. I do the treatments. I have the coping skills. I build the skill set up. I'm accountable for my actions, nobody else's. I'm responsible for me and the things I do and say. Because um, the things you do and say, you, you know, you will be held accountable for. Trust me. I um Wow. I got quiet there for a minute cuz it's all about accountability with me. But again, these children are the most important to you. I read you the numbers about teenagers killing themselves. You know, during this COVID issue, they're not able to see their friends, they're not able to go out, able to participate in extracurricular activities, things of that nature, those types of things. You know, check on, check on children, talk to them. Get them to open up to you. Give them a place where they can have a safe space where they can talk to you and share their feelings and, and not be afraid and you not use it against them. Because this COVID is taking its a, 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 a toll on all of us. You know, kids doing remote learning, learning from home, or going to other facilities and, and sitting in there for six, seven, eight hours trying to do schoolwork, and they're not able to change classes, go to the cafeteria, go to the playground, see their friends, play. Those things have, take, a, take, a, take a big toll on a person. They really do. They don't ever... It's, you know, it, 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 it's life-changing. But the kids are supposed to go back to school, you know, in small increments, which will be good. They'll see their friends. Maybe we can get the school system back to some normalcy or something of that nature. But, um, yeah, check on those teenagers. It's already hard enough being a teenager, but then you got the COVID issue going on. And then, you know, girls especially, we're more sensitive. We have our, uh, we have menses now, you know, and they, they, they have cycles. And so they have all this heightened level of sensitivity and things like that. And where things are here, they, they kind of get amped up to here. You know, you just, be sensitive to, to teenagers and their needs. I'm not saying be their friend, but be, be a good listener. Be receptive and responsive to their needs. Because let me go back and give you the number of suicides in North Carolina. Second leading cause of death between the ages of 10 and 34. Second leading cause of death here in North Carolina, suicide. The ages of 10 to 34, 
I know that's a stretch of a number. That's a that's the kind of hard number to wrap your head around, but um, it's important to note. It's important for me to keep bringing back up. Second leading cause of death in the state. It's important that we talk about it, that we just shed big light on it, that we don't dismiss it. Now, in my case, all the times that I wanted to hurt myself or I'd say I'd be better off if I weren't around and things of that nature, that was a manipulation piece I was using. I was trying to manipulate people, trying to get people to feel sorry for me or or, 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 or like me more or, or be around me more. I didn't know that it pushed people away when you say those things. But now, like I said, I have five months of mental sobriety, you know, taking it one day at a time, you know, one moment at a time. It's just like being in AA. I try not to be around those triggers and those things that will set me off or upset me. That's why I quit doing comedy. Hadn't said that to anybody out loud. I had said it in passing, but I, I have stopped. I don't, I don't go to open mics. I don't go to shows. I support the shows. I always will support the shows and the people and the producers that put them on. I'll always support them. But I think that my behavior in the comedy scene here in Charlotte was egregious. It was abhorrent. It was horrible. Um, I don't think I had any talent. Um, I have nobody to blame. I'm not even. I, they, who, who am I supposed to blame? Me. Who did it to themselves? I did. And it's funny. The three years that I was in the comedy scene here in Charlotte, I learned a whole lot about myself and about people. You have to be your biggest fan, your biggest cheerleader. You have to love yourself among all others and believe that you're funny no matter what. I thought I knew everything. I was a little too arrogant to be in comedy. I'm a little too not coachable. Not saying I'm not coachable in another six months to a year, but right now is not the most important thing to me. My mental healing, my mental sobriety is the most important thing to me. So comedy, I will not be doing anymore. I'm not funny. I may say funny things, or I may be at work and I say funny things, and that may be the extent, but to hold a room full of people, make, make them laugh, I learned that I can't. But I will tell you, I tried. I tried. I tried like hell. But um, I just, I, 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 I think with, with comedy, with me, and all the comics that I know and I love, and I love all of them, I, I just, I, I didn't realize how far reaching it was. And I just know my actions were egregious at times and things of that nature. And I have to be authentic. Can't tell jokes and, and be somebody else. And the thing, I was in the whole comedy game for three years and I didn't take medication. I'm embarrassed. I am ashamed. I am embarrassed and I am ashamed of my behaviors, the things I did. But um, enough about that. 
I want to tell you where you all can find me, where I'm at, my social media handles. I got merchandise. I am the elephant in the room on Facebook and Instagram. I am the Adrian Michelle Freeman on Facebook and Instagram. I ain't hard to find. You can always go to my website, Safe with Adrian, where this episode and six, seven others will be uploaded and are uploaded. Um, I have merchandise, merchandise, merchandise. That is the word, merchandise. I have merchandise. I have T-shirts. I have larges. So if you can wear a large or you know somebody wants to wear a large and you want to support mental health advocacy and you want to just support me, hit me up. I have an email address. I am the Adrian Michelle Freeman. Like I said, on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, I am safewithadrian.com on the internet. Um, my email address is adrianfreeman122 at gmail.com. I am not hard to find. I am everywhere. I'm like Elvis. But this has been another episode of The Elephant in the Room. I love letter to mental health. I've talked about suicide prevention and a whole bunch of other things. I can't wait to see you guys next week. Hit me up if you want them t-shirts or if you just want to give me a comment or a shout out. I thank you. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Bye.